Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to episode 368 of Sexology Podcast with your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to dive into the fascinating world of intimacy and sexuality and how our diverse cultures and beliefs shape them. Ever wondered how our upbringings influences our desires? Can love really conquer the divides of tradition and faith? We are super excited to have Dr. Catherine Benjanian joining us today. She's a seasoned therapist who helped thousands of people navigate the complexities of relationships. With her wealth of experience from her private practice and insights as a former consultant at the Executive Club of St. James, coupled with her academic expertise in social psychology, she's going to share some amazing nuggets with us. Together, we'll explore the complexity of cross-cultural relationships, learn the art of communication, and discover the tools to build a strong, intimate bond that respects both partners' backgrounds. And for all of you listeners out there who are in diverse relationships of your own, you're going to want to stick around. Dr. Catherine is going to drop some serious wisdom on how to nurture a passionate, understanding, and deeply connected partnership. Oh, and before we get started, don't forget to download our stress reduction mini course for free. You can find the link in the show notes. Let's reduce stress and increase pleasure together. So sit back, relax, and let's dive into the conversation filled with curiosity and laughter. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited for our episode today. I know this was a topic that one of our listeners specifically requested about kind of being in a partnership with someone from a different culture. And I just have a perfect person for this interview. Joining us today is Catherine Bajanian. Catherine, welcome to our show. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I loved it all the interviews, conversations you had around this topic, because I know that in this age and time, there's so many people in different types of relationships with people from different backgrounds. So I know it's really important to talk about cultural and kind of like a religious background. So can you tell us a little bit about how our childhood environment, cultural background shape our desire, expectation, what we want with intimacy with a new or old partner? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a very important topic right now because of globalization. I mean, my practice at the moment is based in London, UK. So I, you know, you get so much diversity here. So lots and lots of my clients are from different backgrounds. And I mean, I I was interested in that, sort of did my PhD in that. That's why I'm, I'm here in a place where you get so many different cultural or religious, you know, mixed couples, essentially. It's a really interesting dynamic because it holds the potential for so much more for the two individuals because they are bringing in different perspectives, different traditions, different ways of seeing and believing in the world. So they can be really enriching to each other's lives. On the other hand, if they don't know how to negotiate that, those differences and to be able to effectively complement and merge those, those differences, 
in an effective way, there's could be lots and lots of conflict around it. So you asked about childhood. So yeah, when we come into the world, we don't know how this whole thing works, right? We don't know who we are. We don't have a set sense of identity. We don't understand like how the norms and, you know, social etiquette, any of it is. And we're socialized into it by the people around us, by our family primarily, and then the greater society around us. So when we come into the world and the very first thing that we experience are cultural norms and our family dynamics, that tends to get set as the the standard by which we sort of see and experience the world. Also because we practice those norms for so long, right? So we open our eyes and that's the cultural and familial standards that we experience become embedded into us. We absorb all of that and that becomes our standard way of being. And so as we get older and then we're exposed to new things, those new things might challenge some set beliefs that we have, but it's then going to be about us consciously sort of choosing to do things differently, to develop self-awareness, to understand, to be able to expand our mind beyond what we have just been taught or experienced ourselves from growing up. Absolutely. You know what shows up for me? Our listeners, they know that I grew up in Iran and when I was a teenager, I moved to the U.S. And it was such a unique time when I was born in Iran. Like my family are very progressive, but it was just the beginning of Iranian Islamic revolution. So although my family were very progressive, the kind of messaging I got at school, at society, it was very repressed. And although I've been here for several decades, I, I thought I unlearned most of it. But at times I've noticed that like if I'm slowing down, there is that voice underneath that telling me like some of those beliefs. So it's really hard to recognize them, even if we're thinking that's something that we have worked on. Yes, absolutely. And I think this is a key point that you bring up that comes up in cross-cultural or mixed couplings, right? But you just said, like, I I think I'm sort of aware of this stuff, but I'll go about my day and then something will bring up something, right? And that's the thing is that these norms that we, our belief systems, we're not always aware of it and conscious of it until something happens and then we have an emotional reaction to it. And then it's like, oh, I didn't realize this is how I felt about this. And this is where mixed couples, they can get into trouble sometimes, right? Because in the beginning, the, you know, as we do when we're dating, we want to be as similar as possible. We want a relationship to work. We want very little conflict. So we're focusing on things we agree about. We're focusing a lot on fun and exciting and positive things. But as two people then fall in love and start to construct a life together, and then they might move in together, they might potentially have kids or, you know, buy a house, whatever it is, as they start to do life, suddenly things come up that hadn't before, right? Suddenly, if they are, we're just dating, they didn't have to necessarily talk so much about money. But if they're now moving in together and have to deal with bills, right? Someone says, wait a minute, I come from the background that, you know, the man of the house pays for everything. And he's going, no, 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 the way that I do it, it's to be fair, you know, it's to sort of split. And suddenly these kinds of issues start to come up that had never occurred to either one to sort of talk about before. And, you know, the money one, I'm giving a very obvious example, but there's like thousand things like that 
that the way we eat, the way we wash the dishes, the way we sleep, the way all kinds of stuff, the way we interact with our other family members, that once we start to engage in life with this person, we start to realize, oh, this is my belief system. And suddenly I realize you have a different way of being and then we can create conflict. I agree with you. And what's interesting is that at the beginning, especially if we are kind of people are sex positive or sexually motivated, we might not necessarily notice those differences because like even if it like for some people, someone from different cultures, even more sexier, mysterious. So the draw is stronger. And then when you start the relationship and that honeymoon fade a little bit, then you notice there are perhaps significant differences. What are some of the common patterns that you see in people that they enter a long-term relationship from a different backgrounds? I think the common common issues that could come up where it could potentially create conflict, a lot of it is handling other family members, right? So in-laws and what that, how involved other family members can or can't be in the relationship. Finances is definitely one. Emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, what is appropriate, what's not, how much, how little. Or if, if two people are married, what duties around what a wife does and what a husband is supposed to do, what that can potentially look like. Household chores is another big one. Who's supposed to be responsible for what? Who's supposed to do what? And certainly like child rearing and bringing up kids and what values we want to give to them. And other things like, you know, traditions that we're supposed to follow and incorporate and what's appropriate and what's not and how much of what we want to be able to take from different cultural backgrounds or religious backgrounds. Absolutely. You know, sometimes we think someone's culture is close enough to our culture without, to our culture, but it still can be actually you can experience more misunderstanding. My sister's ex-husband, he was from Istanbul and they had a wonderful relationship. But the thing that they thought like around certain traditions that were understood, it was drastically described, was very different from for us versus them. So when it comes to intimacy, I know that like things like money cause such a big issue for people if you feel misunderstood, if you feel resentful, chores, all of those things can get in the way of people wanting to be intimate with their partner. But what are some specific scripts that can show up people from different backgrounds around sex and intimacy when they are from a different cultures? Around sex and intimacy is the generally the frequency, what is okay in the bedroom, what's not, and how soon are we going to get intimate? So pacing, quality, frequency. Again, generally thinks that like these, this is not particular to someone that is like a mixed couple, right? Like these issues come up in, in every single relationship. It's just that like in cross-cultural couples or in mixed couples of whatever background, the, the expectations might be further apart. If you grow up in the same cultural context or the same societal or community, you, you might have adopted similar norms that you might have particulars about you as an individual. You might have particularities. But if you have gotten the same messages around these things, then it's probable that the gap isn't going to be as large. Whereas when you come from very different cultural or religious backgrounds, now suddenly what's appropriate and what's some people want to wait into marriage, right? Some people like feel that and they, if they went against that, 
then they would feel really guilty. They would have all kinds of like personal anxieties around that. So yeah, as I said, pace, frequency, and when, when things are going to happen, quality of what is appropriate, what is not in the bedroom and time, timing is are very important. Absolutely. You know, what's interesting when you talk about kind of sexual intimacy and expectation, I think if when, for some people, when you are with someone from your background, even if your script is slightly different, people can like easily pick up where the other person is. Like they, it's easier for them to understand, okay, this is where from their upbringing and that's why they're acting this way. But if you don't have any context, it you it's easy for you to misunderstand the situation. I'm thinking perhaps my partner is not attracted to me or perhaps they have low desire versus kind of understanding. No, that's there is something about that cultural script, religious script that uh, dominates this situation. How do you invite people to have these conversations? How can they recognize what is related to specifically their relational dynamic versus their religious, cultural uh, differences? So in any relationship, the way to approach differences is from a lens of curiosity, right? You have to be able to take you out of it. There's a lot of personalizing, as you were saying, sort of if your partner wants to wait for a really long time, if someone comes from a background where that is not the norm, in their cultural background, if it, it's not the norm to have to wait, let's say months or maybe until marriage or whatever, if someone did want to wait, it might mean that they're not interested in, right? There's an element of rejection or they're, they're just not physically attracted to you. And that's why they're prolonging that engagement. So suddenly what in this re- relationship, when your partner is saying, I, I want to that way, you're going, Oh, is it because you're not attracted to me? Cause that's, that's what you would think in your cultural, cultural context. So. As a, as a result, like it's really, really important when you come from like different backgrounds or anytime you have differences, do not allow that like space of personal interpretation. The interpretation should not come from things in your own experiences. Ask them, come from a place of curiosity, lay out the facts. So often in like my, my sessions, when couples get into an argument, I'll sort of let them talk it through. And then I can see how people are interpreting it. And I'll say, wait, you say, you say your position. And then when they're done, I'll, I'll ask the partner, now repeat it the way you actually heard it. What, what's the message they want to be telling you? And the interpretation often is so off, right? And it's so like, it's based on our own insecurities. If the partner is like, oh, I just need to do this and I'm not that available. They're trying to say, I'm really busy and I need some support in you giving me some space so I can do this. The other person heard, you're second on my priority list and this is more important than you, right? And so there's an element interpretation that that gets messy. But if you come from a place of curiosity and we just laid off the facts, okay, I hear you say you want to wait until we get physically intimate. You want to wait at least four months. Okay. The way that I could potentially hear that is that I feel like you're maybe not that into me. You're maybe not that attracted to me. Is that why you want to wait the four months, right? You can give your interpretation and then let the other person like tell you, give you their feedback. No, it's not that because when I was growing up, this happened and then I felt like I had to, whatever it is. And then the other person then couldn't give their, give their sort of side of the story. And then you can like start to clear the misunderstandings. Whereas mo- the way most people do it is if someone says, I rather wait 
four to six months, the other person in their head goes, well, I guess I'm not, they're not attracted, they're not that attracted to me. They're not that, I guess they're not, you know, sexually aroused by me. They'll make that interpretation, never say anything, wait the four to six months, but feel insecure or resent. And then uh, as a result of that, their behavior will change. This other person has no idea what's going on. So they're just getting a partner that is slightly withdrawn or disengaged. And so then they'll react to that. And then we, we end up somewhere we don't want to be. So you have to come from a place of curiosity where you ask, you lay out the facts and then you start to tell the, each other, like, this is how I'm interpreting this. Is this where you're coming from? And if the other person says no, then they need to give some feedback as to how they came to that conclusion based on their own background. I agree with you. And I think it's important to do it outside the bedroom because sometimes when people kind of try <laughs> to give feedback in the middle of the act, it can add frustration and miscommunication because if we're honest, we're not good at communication in the heat of the moment. We even, we're going to get even worse. So how do you invite people to set the right environment for the conversation? Keep it as easygoing and casual as possible. I think people hype up this topic so much and then it's like, well, we need to sit down and then we need to look at each other in eye, eye to eye, you know, and have this conversation. And it's so. It can bring up a lot of embarrassment for people, discomfort, awkwardness. And the more emotions are heightened in any situation, the harder it is for us to think clearly and be able to articulate our thoughts, right? So you really want to be conscious in any, any communication. You want to take down the emotions in any dynamic, in any setting where it's going to be heightened emotions. If you feel like you're going to go in there. In awkward position, here's you, the two of you on the sofa looking at each other. I'm going to have this intense conversation and you can feel yourself getting nervous. That's not the space then to do it. Most, most of the time, I would say things that have some kind of movement where you guys are walking together, you guys are driving together, you're doing some kind of other like activity that doesn't really require that much effort or thought, but there's some kind of engagement. It kind of like focuses you on something else a little bit and it takes the emotion, sort of regulates the emotion a little bit where it's not so intense. The focal point doesn't become this hot topic. Absolutely. And I think it's important to kind of make sure to communicate it in the way that your partner understands it and also like having some kind of a kind of paraphrasing and active listening that, that we're talking about. Because something at times happens is some of us have or grew up in a high context societies, culture. So when you say something, like there are several layers underneath it. <laughs> you can communicate something, but in that context, yeah, you're, you're, you're expected that your partner gets all of it. But if you're coming from the partner that's like, that's, they, they're not coming from a high context, you need to kind of provide more elaboration, give them all of the underneath layers, which can be very, it can be very confusing because you say, I'm just telling you this, 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 but the partner is not getting the entire story because of they're coming from a different background. So for people that they are coming from a different background, different religious kind of leaning, when they want to start a sexual relationship and healthy relational experiences, what are some of the conversations you invite them to have as they're starting this journey? It's really important to talk about Sex is not just a physical act, right? It's psychologically, emotionally, 
means something to us. It impacts us different ways. And things like religion and culture really give like symbology to the app as well, right? They add layers of symbology as well. And so you want to be able to have a conversation that's wider than just the physical act itself. There's the physical aspect of it and the impact it has on us psychologically, emotionally as, as human beings. And that's the way that you guys, and it, then it also like, if someone comes from a stricter religious or a cultural background where sex isn't so openly talked about, sometimes talking about the symbology of it, the meaning of it is a lot easier than the way that we can sometimes in Western cultures, we talk about sex, which is like, what positions do you like, right? What positions and like, what kind, where do you want me to touch you and stuff? But in someone coming from a more stricter background or a more traditional background, those kinds of conversations are incredibly uncomfortable for them. So you want to start to talk about the meaning of sex. Like, what does it mean to you? Does it make you feel closer? Does it make you feel dirty? Like it could make you feel dirty as well, right? Do you feel an element of like guilt? What is the me- like meaning that you've attached to that act? What's, what is the meaning within the context of a relationship outside of it? All of that. And that's how you can start to open the conversation. And then it can evolve into other elements as well. Then we can actually talk about like the physical act itself and, you know, how it feels in the bedroom or what positions or whatever. But I would encourage if you're coming from different backgrounds, particularly, but to be honest, any, any relationship, talk about the meaning, talk about what it indicates to you, what psychologically, how you're interpreting the act. Because once the act is over, it's over, right? But we're left with the meaning afterwards. And so that's what's more important because the, the meaning, that that's what lingers and that's what leads to next time, do we want to or do we not? If someone feels like they come from a more traditional background and if they move too quickly in the bedroom, then it's going to elicit guilt, right? It might feel good in the moment. And this is where a partner might misunderstand, right? Because it was like, well, it sounded like it looks like you were enjoying yourself. Right. But then that act is like done. And now the, the partner's left with a whole lot of guilt. So that's going to lead to their actions later on. Right. So it's often the meaning that we're attributing to sex is more important than the physical act itself because the physical act is over, but the lingering effect is this emotional and psychological. So that you really want to know that your partner's coming from a place of groundedness and like, clarity on what they're doing and they're leaning into the the whatever meaning they've given happening into that rather than there's negative meaning around it and that if you move too quickly or do something they don't like they're going to be stuck with that after effect that is such an important point i see it all the time in my practice that people kind of like are that they give enthusiastic yes right like i just yes in that heat of moment i'm all in they engage in the act and the feeling of shame shows up afterward. And of course, when we are in shame spiral, we're kind of, we're not at a place of being relational with the partner. And sometimes we're pushing them away. Can you give us an example? What would that look like? So it, it's someone that might end up going too fast and not doing something that they're not comfortable with. And then the, the after effect is like resentment and guilt. So now they start to like, want to pull away from the relationship, right? It, such as like an intimate act, you would think it's supposed to bring two people closer. But if someone acts against the meaning that they've given to sex and they, you know, they do something they're not psychologically comfortable with, 
even if the physical act goes well, but they're left with that negative interpretation, they're going to resent their partner and they're going to, it's going to undermine the intimacy in the relationship. They're going to feel unsafe there. And, and it's going to be, you know, like if you feel like your partner didn't like force you into it, but they kind of like talked you into it, you might not like feel like justified to go, you pushed me into something because you agreed to it, but you still don't feel safe enough to fully open up with them, right? You're never going to feel fully like comfortable to fully be exposed in front of them. And I don't mean just physically, I mean emotionally. Uh, so shame and guilt are like two of the big ones because we have so many like religions and cultures that try to regulate promiscuity by putting such a negative tone around sex. And that even then, sometimes even if you're in the context of a relationship and it on some level feels okay now to do it, but sometimes you're really left with those negative messages. And if you're not careful and you don't voice it and your partner doesn't say, I really want to make sure that we get to a point that emotionally you engage happily just as much as you're engaging physically, that the emotional engagement has to match the physical engagement, right? And if you have that conversation, sometimes you can release those negative messages. Otherwise, the guilt and shame is going to massively undermine that relationship and you're going to grow to feel unsafe and resent the partner. That is, as I said, a very common pattern that I see, especially in my practice in LA, people from different backgrounds and they have this kind of conflicting desire for things, right? They can think about, I want this and, but this is against my value around this. I love the idea of helping people to match their emotional and also act, actions in a say, kind of making it aligned and comfortable and honest with the partner. So if that rupture happens, right? So if you engage in that behavior, we notice that, okay, I, I'm not feeling close to my partner. I'm not feeling good about it myself. How can we move toward the repair afterward? And it often does, you know, for with someone that's like worked with couples, you know, that like this kind of rupture regularly happens. You can't check about everything. And sometimes you don't even know something is an issue for you until it's happened. So I'm saying with couples, the most important thing even that avoiding the argument is actually uh, the repair process. So the repair process is going to just require honest and genuine and transparent conversation, right? And the one communicating, like, let's say you were the one feeling less, like I did something that I was maybe encouraged to do by my partner that I didn't feel comfortable with. Be If it's a relationship you want to, you don't want to break up, but you want to consistently like keep, be very careful about how you communicate that because sometimes the other person can be like, oh my God, I feel, I feel like a predator, right? I feel like I push you into something and then they'll get so scared and pull away that they, now they're like afraid to initiate anything. So you want to say, look, this, I didn't realize this was such a big deal or maybe I did, but I didn't actually think it, I thought if I just did it, it would be fine. It actually turned out it's not fine. Right. I felt I'm left feeling a little bit too exposed. I feel like I've gone more further than I like to have. Can we actually pull back a little bit? And having that conversation and having your partner go, it's really important to me that you share this and I want to get on board and I don't ever want you to feel like you're doing anything in intersex life that you're not comfortable with. If they're responsive, in that like loving way and you're able to honestly tell them, then that's the repair work. And then you wait 
right? You do wait, you give it some time for that to sort of settle before you try again. I love that. It's such a good way, got a kind of roadmap of how to navigate this tough conversations because they're truly tough. There are lots of emotion that comes up from our own history, from our cultural stories and all of the templates that we have individually. What's interesting for me is like some culture, and definitely my culture, they have this idea of like you want to say a no, right? Like the idea is like the person pursue, the person need to pursue you and you have to kind of say no and they have to seduce you, which makes things complicated, right? Of course, I'm not justifying that kind of like any kind of sexual assault or anything like that. But having that script, it makes it hard for people to navigate. Okay, when should I push as part of this sexual act of doing and undoing? And when should I kind of like let my partner kind of be and not push them anymore? How can we navigate that? So, and this is where if you come from the same cultural background, it makes it so much easier because you understand the script, right? You both kind of understand it. You understand how to play around with it. Whereas if you come from different backgrounds, yeah, that's going to be like lost in translation. It's going to be very difficult to understand. The way that I say like someone that is, that wants to take things like saying slower or wants, like is wants to give in, but wants like pursuing more. The way I suggest that they talk about it, because sometimes people can talk about it in such a way that it's like, it's off-putting to the other person, right? It's like, Oh, it's too soon for me. I can't believe you just, you know, and the, like the other person's going to get freaks out sometimes and go, Oh my God. Again, I don't want to feel like a predator. So they'll, they'll overcorrect and completely pull back. And this person, the initial person giving that kind of communication doesn't want that the, the guy to like pull away, the guy or girl to fully pull away. They just, they just want like a, like a more of a play, right? A push pull dynamic. So the way to sort of communicate that is to say, Things be clear about that. Like, like, oh, I, I really like that you leaned in for a kiss and I, I, I want to as well, but I feel like I'm not ready. So maybe let, let's, let's give it some time and then try again. Right. You're communicating to the other person. It's like, you didn't do anything wrong. Right. It's just, and maybe I want to, but I'm also not ready for it. Right. And so how about you, like, how about you give it some time and then you can try it again. You're telling them, I'm, I want you to try again, right? So you're giving direction, but gi- giving a better understanding of pace. So hopefully then the other person doesn't sort of personalize it and go, oh my God, I've made this individual feel like I was coming on too strong and I'll just stop. Because usually people will hear that message. If you go, that was too much, they'll hear that message and go, okay, well, I'll just, you just, they just shut down. And that, that's the other danger of it, right? I think we often, talk about people coming on too strong regularly, but we don't talk about the other effect, which is, okay, when we when we don't want them to come on too strong or we want them to pace it, how do we communicate it so that they don't overcompensate and overcorrect? Because that's not fun for either one then either. So I see a lot of women that want that pursuing nature of a guy, but they don't want it to be hard and fast and too much. They want it regulated better. And they just don't know how to communicate that. And so the way that I, again, always talk about communicating it is communicate that like desire for like intimacy. I want to be close to you and I, I want to be able to like physically be intimate and stuff. However, I'm just not ready yet. 
So we, you know, why don't we, you know, with a smile, why don't we like wait a little bit? Why don't you try to win me over a little bit more? You know, why don't you put in a little bit more effort? Like just be a little bit more playful about it. And then, you know, and then we can try it and then see where it goes. So having playful conversations to keep that, the conversation light and out of the realm of predatory and consent and stuff that can get very heavy sometimes if that's not what what's what's being discussed if it's not a consent thing it's just the pace thing then yeah i love i love how you elaborated on that better than what i was talking about because i think for many people as you said like from some culture it's not about consent it's about the script right yes. that's what one thing i recommend people at times to do is whether you are into bdsm or not have a safe word i love that the light kind of analogy of green, yellow, red. So your partner knows that, okay, so if you're saying red, then it is like we're stopping. So it's full stop. Or even at times, I recommend people to have some hand gesture, body language for stop that's agreed on. So if your trauma for any reason, nothing related to your partner shows up, then you want to be able to communicate that. Well, I love all of this wonderful knowledge that you shared with us today. Is there anything else that you wanted our listeners to know before our we close our conversation today? I think mixed couples, what I would say to, to individuals and to be, again, to be honest, to all couples is be careful about taking anything your partner does as an indication that it's coming from a lack of care or love or whatever. That's what I tend to see a lot in my like with my mixed couples is like someone will do something and they're just coming from a cultural like norm and the other person takes it as like, it's because they don't care about me, right? It's like like someone not staring, well, we should split the bills, right? Someone from a cultural background where they're used to, let's say, usually the guy picking up the entire check is going to go, oh, that was so rude. They'll go, that was so rude of them, right? But Actually, this other person might be thinking, well, I want, I want you to feel like an equal. So it's not, so be careful about like interpreting things more maliciously and negatively than they actually are. And just like most of the time in my practice, it's like we just find that like it's just cultural differences and norms that are being misread as like, if this person cared about me, they would have done this and they would have done that. And that's not true necessarily. So you want to check in and you want to be able to like unpack what is from coming from just a cultural like space and what is actually like a careless act. Such a wonderful guideline for people to kind of like look through and think about it when they have this misunderstandings, which is often very common. I think even talking about it can take some practice. I bet that people can a lot of more of this content and your website, you have different types of offerings. So if, if people are intrigued, what are some of the places they can have access to your content? I think there's lots of podcasts I've done. So if you just Google me, you'll find other podcasts and stuff. And there's a course I'm going to be putting out sometime early next year on love and how to define actually healthy love, not just as the romantic sparks flying, but if you want a long-term successful relationship, what love will look like throughout the long term. And also I do online like sessions and stuff with people globally. So if anybody wants like personal attention, feel free to go to my website or just email me and then, yeah, and then get in touch and then we'll take it from there. Well, the link for all the resources uh, you mentioned is going to be on the show. Now, thank you so much for 
spending part of your weekend with us. And I hope you have a beautiful rest of your night. Likewise, thank you. I hope you guys found our conversation meaningful. This was a topic that one of you listeners requested when last time I sent a survey. And if you're a penis owner and you have a question, make sure you're sending your question, emailing it to Dr. Moali at Oasis to Care or recording your audio on our website, sexologypodcast.com. And I will answer all of your questions in the next episode. If you're a vulva owner, you can certainly do that as well. And I will dedicate an entire episode to answer those questions. And after completing all of these requests, I'm sending out another survey. I believe from the last survey, I address all of the topics that you guys requested. So stay tuned. Make sure you are looking out for the new survey. So if you have a question, I'm here to answer. All right. I hope you have a fantastic week and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.